Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630KHOW, Denver's talk station. an inalienable right like an inalienable that's different than just like a privilege that's that's something inalienable means it can't be contradicted it it can't be taken away it can't be abridged infringed upon if i have an inalienable right then how can the government force me to wait for it as if exercising that right was in and of itself a crime. Does that make any sense to you? Of course it doesn't, unless, of course, we're talking about guns. 630K, how Denver's talk station. I am Leland Conway. Uh, you can text the show, text Leland to 57739, Leland to 57739. I know the topic of gun control seems like, well, there's these two hardened, entrenched sides of the issue, and you hear some of the same things. On both sides, like every time it comes up, like we need common sense gun control, and then shall not be our friends, right? And it gets old, right? Because you're listening to the same things over and over and over again. But could it be that this is a, this is that it is in fact that simple? That shall not be infringed is in fact that simple. That 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 it, that, that that something like. Your Second Amendment right doesn't really require a lot of explanation or argument or debate as to why it's inalienable, as to why. why. But let's start there. Let's start there. Now, the reason I brought this up, just so you know, you probably heard at the top of the hour, that the bill that is going to implement a three-day waiting period to buy a firearm has passed its first committee test. Now it's going to go before the full House in the state legislature. That's why I'm talking about this right now. Because I pledge to use my microphone and my platform so long as I have it to fight for your inalienable rights. But what does that mean? What's it tied to? Why is it inalienable? Why is the Second Amendment inalienable? Because freedom is first. See, again, I'll explain this if you're new listening to the show and you haven't heard me do this, and I'll try to do it quick and brief for those that have heard me do it before, but I think it's important to reiterate like one of the most important reasons why the Second Amendment means what we say it means that you have a right to bear arms as an individual, but it doesn't have to do so much with militias as it does to do with personal rights. And in order to understand that, you have to understand the context of the times in which the argument was had. And the context of the times in which the argument was had was this. There was a big debate at the time that the Second Amendment was adopted between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. Basically, it was their version at that time of Republicans and Democrats two entrenched sides that saw two different goals for how our government should be structured. It was far less destructive than the red team versus blue team 
political atmosphere that we work in right now, but it was essentially the same concept. You either believe that the federal government needed to have a strong centralized power that orbited around the idea of like Washington, D.C. was where most of everything emanated from. And then you had the the anti-federalists who said, no, 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 we just want a bunch of states that largely govern themselves. And the federal government only really comes into play when we need to fight off England again, which is inevitable. And so these two camps were entrenched and they were fighting with each other about which direction the government should go. And in the end, they sort of compromised and it came down to like a combination of the two. But the point is, at the time that the Second Amendment was passed, that was the argument that was going on in America. And the whole idea behind the Second Amendment was that the Federalists said, listen, listen, it's okay to give us centralized power because the people will be armed. So they'll be able to overthrow us if we do something bad. That'll keep us in check. See, that's enough. But we still need this centralized government. The anti-federalists are like, oh, of course the people will be armed. You better believe the people will be armed. But that's still not enough. You need to have less power. So the one thing that they could agree on was that the people would be armed for the express purposes of defending their freedom. Now, let's dive into why is it inalienable? I think this is important because we hear a lot of the same sort of cliches around this, this argument, you know. Shall not be infringed, pry it from my cold dead fingers, blah, 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 blah. Why is this right inalienable? What is it tied to? It's tied to two aspects of humanness, okay? It's tied to two aspects of being a human being. Aspect number one is individual, and aspect number two could be considered collective but still individual. Aspect number one is I have an individual God-given or universe-given or creator given or just by nature of being a human being and natural right to be able to defend myself from someone or something that is trying to take my life or compromise my personhood this is natural and what our founding fathers understood was that it was natural that there was no king there was no dictator no oligarch, no monopoly that could take that right away from any human being on the planet. That this was inalienable. It wasn't an American thing. It was a human thing. It was a matter of the human condition. So therefore, we had the right to use whatever tools we found necessary in defense of our families, in defense of ourselves. Because the one thing that no one was ever supposed to be able to take away from you was your life. That's part number one tied specifically to the individual. The collective slash individual part was that the, the, the very nature of this inalienable right is tied to the nature of individual freedom, which is tied to the ability of groups of people to say nay to a centralized power. You can't have our land. You can't have our stuff. You can't have our freedom. You can't torture us. You can't imprison us without due process. You can't do all these things. And if you try to, we're going to fight. And that's tangentially tied to the individual side, right? It's people coming together in defense of their own individual freedoms against a despot, a tyrant, a tyrannical government. These two things our founding fathers understood to be written in the code of the universe. Universal laws. Universal laws. That's why they wrote, shall not be infringed. 
because it really didn't matter whether it was for the sake of militia defending against a tyrannical government or for the sake of an individual defending themselves against a mob that wanted to come and, and, and burn down their house and take all their stuff. It's fundamental. So the reason I took the time to explain all of that is that we have to now go back to this idea of a three-day waiting period to practice that God-given right. Tell me the other right in which it makes any sense to you that we should have to wait to practice it. There's a couple things I can already hear happening. Well, you gotta drive. No, no, I don't have to pass a background check. And I don't have to wait to buy a car. If I have the cash, I can go buy a car. It's only this one. And I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm against background checks for guns. That's not my point. All you're doing in that situation, you're not infringing on the right, is just checking to make sure that they weren't a criminal, right? If you're a law-abiding citizen, you're just verifying. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with going into a gun store and putting all my information on there and saying, I promise I'm not a drug addict and I promise I'm not buying this gun for somebody else. Um, and I know that I'm not a felon and he, that's okay. That's not an infringement on my right. A three day waiting period. Once I've passed that background check, that is in fact an intentional an intentional aggravation of that. Right. Let me explain why, because it assumes from the get-go that your intent is criminal. It literally is about as un-American a bill as our state legislature could pass. And I don't really care how you feel about guns. I don't care if they scare you or if they hurt your feelings. I don't, I don't care about any of that. And I don't even care so much about the fact that, yeah, it's risky. Criminals get their hands on them. What I care about is the fact that you as a legislator, if you're trying to take my guns away, don't have the right to make this judgment call. If you went to go buy a car today and the car's price tag was $55,000 and you had $55,000 in your bank account and you wanted to pay for it all up front for cash, you could walk into the car dealership, you could write the check, I was dating a girl in college one time, and I worked at a car dealership. So uh, her dad was buying her a car, and uh, I, I was. This was like a foreign concept to me because I remember when I got to college, I said to my dad because every I went to a private, expensive Christian university, and everybody there was like the daughters and sons of wealthy people, and they all had like the old Acura and the old Lexus and the old BMW to drive. And I had said to my dad, I was like, "What? What about a car?" And he said, "What about it?" just started laughing so I had to buy my own um but at the time I, I was working as a at, at a car dealership and so I had some some insight into how it worked and so when when my girlfriend's dad was going to buy her the car I said let me help negotiate it and so I did and uh, I remember it was a Toyota Corolla brand new and I was just like, I cannot believe that my girlfriend's dad is buying her a brand spanking new. And he wrote a check. I watched him write a check. We got the price down. I think you're good. This age me here. It was like $16,000, which right now that wouldn't even buy you like a halfway nice used car. But I remember watching him write that check out. And I was like, wow. 
what would that be like? But you, if you can write that check, what's funny is since then I've done that myself now, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, because, you know, been successful, whatever. But you can write that check. And no one is going to tell you you have to wait three days because we want to make sure that you're not going to go down the street and plow that 4,000-pound hunk of metal into the mall. There's no other right that we have that we have to wait three days for. This is at its very, again, so Channel 7 says the first of four major gun bills in the Colorado legislature this session faced its first committee test on Monday. House Bill 23-1219 calls for a three-day waiting period between the time a background check is initiated and when the purchase is approved, following any background check. Sellers who fail to comply will face a civil infraction punishable by a $500 fine on the first offense and $5,000, up to 5000 for subsequent offenses. The bill's first House committee hearing said Channel 7 there was a back and forth between supporters and opponents of the legislation over evidence supporting the effectiveness of the waiting period. The bill cites a 2017 study that was published in the Proceedings National Academy of Sciences as, Sciences as its justification. Chris Pollock, one of an assistant professor at UCLA, uh, was co-author of the study. Concluded that mandatory waiting periods resulted in a 7 to 11 percent reduction in suicides by firearm and a 17 percent reduction by homicides by firearm. How did you determine that? First of all, I'd like no, no. I'd I'd like to know more about this study because I know I've seen numbers that show that law-abiding gun owners, in other words, people who pass background checks, commit crimes at a rate that is so infinitesimal, small, infinitesimally small. That is almost not statistically significant. So tell me how homicides actually went down by 17% by firearm when there's nowhere near that number of people who own firearms committing those kinds of crimes. That's number one. And number two, 11% reduction in suicides by firearm is simply an 11% reduction in suicides by a certain tool. It says nothing about what other tool they might have and probably did use. And even if this were true, and I don't believe it is and it's not, but even if it were true, it doesn't matter because of what I said at the beginning of the segment. See, freedom comes with risk. And I will take the risk. Freedom comes with risk. And this is something I think a lot of Americans are failing to understand today. Because we live in a world, let's take cars, for instance, since I use that as an example. Um, Car crash rates are up. People are worse drivers now. Why is that? Because cars are safer. We live in a bubble wrap world. We are used to everything being safe, everything being taken care of. And when the real world penetrates that bubble, it shocks us. But the real world's going to happen whether we're in our bubble or we're not. And the legislators who are pushing this and passing this bill live in the bubble. And the bubble is pierced when we are reminded on an almost daily basis, especially in Denver, that a criminal is going to criminal regardless of their laws. And that by forcing people to wait to practice their God-given inalienable right, you're actually increasing the risk that comes with freedom. 
So no thank you. I'm not giving up my freedom. Three days, people will say, it's common sense, Leland. It's not that long. You can wait. No thank you. Because, again, let's, I mean, I could go through the people that this affects negatively if you want to, if you want to do the heartstrings thing. How about we talk about a single mother with an estranged husband who's threatened to kill her? Is he going to wait three days until the fight's equalized? What's she going to do for those three days? Talked to a guy the other day. Told me that he had once had his life threatened. I don't know if you've ever been through that, but it's pretty terrifying. And so the legislature is going to say, huh, you got to wait three days because we don't want you to do anything rash. What is criminality, if not rash? How do you predict? If, if every one of you listening is in the sound of my voice right now, if you could, if you had a say, if you had any say whatsoever in when you would be attacked by a criminal trying to kill you and take your stuff. When would you want it to happen? Everyone right now listening is saying, never. (laughs) If I have a choice. Ah, but there's the rub. You don't have one. Ask everyone who's a victim of rape. If they had a choice. Ask every woman who's been the victim of domestic violence. I mean, she could have chosen to leave, I'm sure. But once it's happening, it's happening, right? And. Are we going to blame that on the on the victim? Why would we do that? Why would we blame the victim? It doesn't make any sense. So tell me the murder victim who had a choice. Tell me the victim of violent crime who had a choice. Who made the choice in all of those crimes? Who made the choice in the rape? Who made the choice in the domestic violence? Who made a choice in the attack in the mud? Who made those choices in the carjacking? Who made those choices? The criminal did. Did the criminal check the state's timeline? I mean, hell, let's get the state to pass a three-day waiting period before you jack somebody's car. How about that? Why don't we see if the state legislature can do that? And let's see how that works. you got to be kidding me. Coming up next, a blow to Biden's environmental, social, and governance plans for you, social credit score. We'll talk to a prolific author and defender of human rights, Kenny Zhu, on this next. 630K How. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to more Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. It's uncommon because it ain't common anymore. 
630K, how Denver Stock Station texts the show directly. Leland to 57739. Leland to 57739. Uh, 6666 says, Leland, three simple words shall not be fringe. It's infringed. It is just that simple. Talking about the attack on your gun rights by the state legislature. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it is that simple. I mean, I hate to be cliche, but it is. 1713 says, Leland, I do have a problem with one strike and you're out. Due process should allow you to pay your debt to society and be able to regain all your rights. The Constitution has no provision for losing your rights except for treason. Uh, To a point, I agree with you, 1713. Um, I think violent felons, uh, I'm kind of okay with that because you you can't restore what you take from somebody with violence. If somebody is a rapist, a pedophile, uh, if they are someone who has viciously physically attacked someone, you can restore property. You can't restore the the victimization that that has. Um, as someone who's been through a home invasion while I was there, uh, I will tell you that that that's something that you never forget. It 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 puts a stamp on your your brain and your heart and your soul that doesn't go away easily. Um, and so. I think violent felons, I think you've kind of forfeited your right to be that type of citizen that has all of those rights. Um, But nonviolent, even felons, I think once you've made restitution, boom, you should get all your rights back, all of them. Uh, 6525 says, Leland, what pisses me off is that they're arguing about effectiveness, nothing about constitutionality. Exactly. But you have to understand, and I've got some other stories hopefully we'll get to today about the crazy stuff the legislature's doing. They're coming after your beer. Actually, they're going to tax your beer more than they already do there's nothing that that this legislature won't do because they see themselves as superior to you they don't see themselves as elected by you they see themselves as your ruler they see themselves as superior to you and therefore capable of making decisions about your life uh better than you can and that's why the idea of constitutionality doesn't really come into it because from their standpoint it's just what can we tell these people how to do in a way that we want them to do it. So that's where that's coming from. All right, do we have our guest, uh, uh, B-Large? I think he's trying to get him. Um, hopefully we'll get a hold of him. Kenny Zhu is uh, the author. Oh, we do have him? Okay, he's the author of a book called In- An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. He's been on the front lines. There's a, it, it, you know, it's interesting that the, the media and the left talks about um, discrimination against Asian people uh, in, in, in they, they, they actually ignore one of the biggest areas in which it actually happens and that is in liberal academia and this has been a huge scandal that really hasn't gotten enough play and that is that at major college institutions around America they have been trying to shade out Asians in, in admissions because frankly um, there's a lot of people that excel in that community. They work hard, and uh, that just can't be had when we're trying to get to equity, right? And equity is uh, equal outcomes. And when you have people that actually have a really strong work ethic and they apply and they, they go after it, uh, well, that just upsets the apple cart, right? Because we need to have everybody just be mediocre. So he wrote that book. But the reason I wanted to get him on, we'll talk a little bit about that as well, but I wanted to talk to, to him about this bipartisan vote that was passed last week that would repeal President Biden's ESG investment rule on investments. Basically, let me explain a little bit of what this is. Environmental social governance. It's, this is the cre- social credit score. And so it's where 
Biden is like, oh, well, the government's only going to invest in things that are acceptable according to this social credit score. Is it green enough? Um, is it uh, is it is it uh, woke enough? Um, and is it uh, is it what we want to do in terms of like the direction that we want the society to go in? As opposed to we're going to we're going to do investments for pensions and things like that in the in the area that will best benefit the pensioners, the people who possess the pension or will receive that at the end. It's pretty terrifying because it's the it's the implementation, if you will, of the social credit score. Kenny, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? How are you? I'm well, thanks. Um, How do I pronounce your last name? I want to make sure I'm saying it correctly. Shoe. like a Okay. All right. Cool. Perfect. Um, so you're the president of an organization called Color Us United, a race-blind advocacy group that advocates for the simple and true idea that ordinary Americans want race out of the equation in their personal and professional lives. That I couldn't agree with that statement anymore, man. I mean, it's dead on, dude. I mean, I just I, I was raised in a home, Kenny, where I was taught, hey, color is not what matters. What matters is effort. What matters is innovation. What matters is merit. What matters is character. That's what matters. Right, exactly. That's that's what matters. It's character, it's merit, it's your values, um, and those are things that are increasingly being lost today because we're focused on these surface level skin color characteristics. Like, what really? You want to hire more minorities here on this on a skin color basis? What about hiring the most qualified people for your profession? The majority of Americans they get this, but the right. government and the media they're obsessed with race. Right. So. The, the one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was about this vote last week. It was actually bipartisan to repeal the president's ESG. Can you explain a little bit about what that was going to be had it been instituted? So it's a by this, you know, had it had it been instituted, it would have given, you know, it would have made another regulation in the government an ESG regulation and ESG environmental, social and governance says that companies have to adhere to certain environmental standards like uh and not 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 the not ones that are actually good like pollution or air quality mm-hmm. but you have to be ridiculous these ridiculous standards like you have to be carbon neutral you have to get you have to buy your things from carbon neutral businesses hey um the breaking news guys nothing is carbon neutral Nothing. Okay. That's that's Uh, a good point. The air we breathe, (laughs) human life is not carbon neutral. We breathe oxygen and we release carbon dioxide. Um, So basically, you want something to be carbon neutral, just kill all the humans, right? Right. (laughs) Um, The other other thing is that uh, in in cows and everything and all life, um, same thing with the social and governance. They say you want – you need to have a certain percentage of your board be minorities and women. Uh, excuse me, I didn't know that the most qualifi- that the most the biggest qualification to you appearing on the board of something is your race. It sounds pretty racist to me. So right. these are the new standards that the Biden regime wants. They're racist, they're impossible to cover, and they're wrong. So would this have been like with hold on a second. I got one of those auto plays from Fox News uh, <laughs> that popped up on the computer. Yeah. Um would this have been like if the government was going to do a contract with some business, that that business would then have to adhere to ESG standards. Right, exactly. Something. To so that, that would drive extent. it would drive the cost of doing business with the government through the roof. And if they if they 
if they wanted them to do that in all things, not just government contract, it would also drive the cost of doing business in general, which could put them out of business with actual customers on the street and and or force the, the prices across the board up higher than they already are. Right, because now you need to be a minority-owned business. You need to be a woman-owned business. You know, in order to, uh, you need to be. I mean, well, that doesn't affect costs so per se. I was talking more about the green well, stuff. It actually I mean, does. It actually does. There are studies that show that um, before uh, racial preferences were banned in California in 1994, the cost of doing business in the government was high. It actually increased construction costs by over a billion dollars in California because you had to do business with certain uh, black owned businesses that produced. The worst goods at a higher price. That's what happened. The definition of a bad business is producing worse goods at a higher price. And you had to do businesses with those businesses because their heads were minorities. Right. And it wasn't because of their race. It was because they were because of the consideration of race. It wasn't because they were it wasn't race that caused them to create things that were less desirable is that they were they worked with companies that weren't necessarily uh, providing yeah. the most innovation because they had to choose only certain people that would run them where we should yeah, be focusing. That, yeah. We should be focusing on getting everyone educated, everyone up to that uh, place where everyone can provide that innovation in society. And that's where opportunity comes from, as opposed to let's do everything by we need six of this race and three of that race and four of this gender and four of this orientation. And then we need to have a company that's green uh, all the way through it's it's carbon neutral and then we need to have a company you know that that's th- that becomes such a morass that it drives the price of government up from from beginning to end right exactly exactly that that's that's where we're opposed to we want everybody to to achieve at the same standard we want to lift people to that standard we don't want to do right. you don't want to lower the standard to appease certain groups Right. Absolutely. Um, you wrote a book called An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. How can folks find that book? You can find An Inconvenient Minority on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. IndieBound is a great place to buy the book. It helps the author. Um, and uh, join, you know, follow me and my commentary at Kenny M. Shu, Kenny M. X. U. on Twitter. Awesome. Hey, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it, brother. Thank you, brother. All right, have a good one. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. Like that, the social credit score is it is it is wokeness. It is environmental wokeness. Um, it's and and they have one in China, by the way. In China, its social credit score is is not necessarily tied to greenness. It's tied to whatever the Communist Party wants it to be. But it's basically the same concept. And these guys want to see it put across the board. They want to be able to tell you what you can and can't do, and they want to be able to determine all the outcomes. This is this is where it was kind of interesting yesterday when we played that soundbite. I think I still have it here. Let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, it was Bernie Sanders. Do I have it? Hold on. I thought I had it. Yeah. Uh, Bernie didn't know the difference between equity and equality at equality. first. Like it's the same word, and it's not the same word in the same concept. So how would you differentiate between equity and equality? Well, equality, we talk about, uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. <laughs> what? Come to think of it, you know, uh, equality is equality of opportunity. All right? We live in a society, we want all people right. to have whatever color your skin is. Equity, I think, is more guarantee of outcome, is it not? I, yeah, think, I think so, I think that's Okay, 
So which do you come? Which side do you come down on? Oh, equality. Equality. Okay. Yeah. So okay. the answer he gives is right in the end, but he's actually an idiot because he doesn't realize that what he's arguing for is actually equity. Because later, there's the soundbite that I played for you where he knows how many homes you need. And he knows, he knows how rich you should be allowed you to be. You start a business, you make money, fine, become rich. But there's got to be a limit. Do you really need $50 billion, $100 billion? Where are you going to spend that money? How many homes, how many islands are you going to own? Why, why do you get to decide, Bernie, what that limit is? And what is the limit? Because they've never been able to put the limit on place. And the limit is always shifting. It's like an, it's, it's, it's an amoeba. It's not exactly a limit because they can't say the exact amount, but it used to be millionaires, and now it's billionaires because a bunch of them became millionaires. So they can't punish themselves. So where's, where's the moral authority for this statement right here? So, thought of business, you make money, fine, become rich. But there's got to be a limit. You- where's the moral authority for that statement? He's talking about equity. He's not talking about equality. If we have equality, that means that I can start a business and you can start a business. And your business could outperform mine. And there ain't a damn thing I could do about it. Except try to be better. Work harder. Innovate more. Figure out the secret sauce. Come back and win another day. It's not a zero-sum game. But people who believe this ESG stuff, and people who believe the woke stuff, and people who are, pro- are, who are talking about equity versus equality... 99.9% of Americans agree with equality. But the equity stuff, that is, that, is the, that is not equality. Because equality says whatever your talents are, whatever your abilities are, whatever you, you have that makes you you gets to shine. Because you have an equal opportunity to shine. But you may shine more than the next guy because you have more talent or you have more work ethic or you have more ability to take risks and so on and so forth. It's asinine. All right, we'll continue. 630K How, Denver's Talk Station. K Hot Denver Stock Station. I am Leland Conway. Uh, text coming in. Text Leland to five seven seven three nine. Leland to five seven seven three nine. Let's see. Uh, the limit is more than what Bernie has. Four houses right now are enough until he gets his fifth house. Actually, in that soundbite, he mentioned five houses. We talked about this yesterday. It was pretty funny. Um, he says it right after the Start part. Start business, you make money, fine, become rich. But there's got to be a limit. Do you really need? $50 billion, $100 billion. Where are you going to spend that money? How many homes? How many islands? First of all, where does he get off asking where are you going to spend that money? It's none of his damn business. If it's my money, it's none of his business. What do you want? You want us to go through your sock drawer? Figure out what you're spending whatever money you have on? You're going to own. So, you know, people work hard. Do you hard. tax them? Would you get Absolutely. I mean, we should have a progressive tax system which says to billionaires... You're going to pay your fair share of taxes. My own view, to be honest with you, may sound radical. I don't think we need billionaires. You want to be rich? That's fine. Take good care of your family. Buy five homes. But you don't need 50 homes. (laughs) Buy five. Five's the limit because he has four. And he needs it to be one more than he has because you never know. He might buy another one. See, here's the thing. I remember when Joe Rogan had Bernie Sanders on his program, and I was actually kind of excited because – I've always, I don't want to say I've liked the guy because I don't. I hate his politics, and I think he's actually an economic dumbass. But I was like, well, I'll listen to that conversation because I do think he's authentic in the sense that he's real, more real than most politicians are. And maybe maybe everything that I have pictured him as is because I see sound bites 
where he sounds like the arc, uh, the aardvark from the ant the aardvark, right? Hey, hey, I don't think you should have four houses. You shouldn't have $5 billion. Right, so I thought, well, maybe it's soundbite. So I'll listen to him, and I'll hear his nuanced discussion of his belief system. And I listened to an hour-and-a-half-long podcast with Joe Rogan, who's normally, you know, pretty challenging to people that have out there ideas, but he was just a fanboy, and it was two hours of basically him saying stuff like that. What I would like to do is interview him myself. And I would like to ask him, Two things. One, where do you get the moral authority for this statement? Start a business, you make money, fine, become rich. But there's got to be a limit you really need. And secondly, how is this not equity? If you're forcing everybody below a line that you arbitrarily set, that's the definition of equity. And it's immoral. Equality is moral. Equity is immoral. Coming up next, Miranda Devine from the New York Post reports on Lab Leak Gate. The Sins of Dr. Fauci. Next, 630 How. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.